0: I want to I I begin uh, tonight in uh, our study of last things, and let me tell you a passage if you want to go ahead and find in your Bible, find Ezekiel chapter um, 38, uh, 39, right in there. Uh, we looked a little bit at Ezekiel last uh, uh, week, and as time permits, we'll get there. Did everybody get an outline, the 14B? Did y'all get 14B? Everybody got that? Okay, good. Um, but before we get there, I want to do something. Um, not too long ago, the uh, McLaughlin Group, which is a highly respected um, a polling organization, uh, polled 1,000 uh, Americans, and they asked them um, about the coronavirus. Uh, so, they, so I want us to do a poll, and I'm going to ask you the question they asked them. All right, and uh, so you'll have to raise your hand and declare your your, uh, position uh, here, but uh, nothing that you uh, would be offended at, I don't think. But uh, here's the question they ask uh, of these 1,000 people. Do you consider the coronavirus a wake-up call from God? How many of you say, I think it's a wake-up call? Okay. Um, looks like that's most of us. Um, and the, the other question was, do you view the coronavirus as a sign of coming judgment? How many of you agree with that statement? Okay. All right. And the third question they asked in this poll was, um, do you believe the coronavirus is an indication that we are living in the last days? What do you, what do you think? Okay. All right. Um, and uh, h- here's the interesting thing. This was taken of Christians and non-Christians alike. And almost 50% of them answered uh, the, in the affirmative to all three of those questions that they believe it's a wake-up call from God to try to turn America back toward him. They believe that um, uh, a a third of them believe that it is a sign of uh, coming judgment. And then, um, uh, again, almost 50% of them believe that it is an indication of living in the last days. So uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, and I thought I, I figured I knew probably how most, most uh, evangelical Christians would respond to that. But I think it's very interesting. They went on to talk about a whole lot of other stuff. They broke it down. I've got it broke down by demographics uh, and ethnicities and uh, single adults, Asian Americans, Jew, uh, uh, Jewish people, uh, all of these different categories. But collectively, almost 50 percent answered in the affirmative, with the exception of one-third answered. They believe it to be uh, a a precursor to the coming uh, judgment of God. But here's what else they found that I thought was a little interesting, and that was that they discovered that there has now been a heightened uh, desire to study last things by Christians and non-Christians. Bible sales have gone up exponentially, hello, and that, uh, that many of those who are non-Christians uh, are intrigued by the whole idea of eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the last days. In other words, they want to know, it didn't say they all agreed, but they wanted to know about uh, the last days. So it has created a um, Uh, a heightened bit of interest there. And I think that's probably uh, normal Uh, in my life. I'm I'm lifespan. I'm about, I've got, I'm about three weeks out from turning 61. And in my lifespan, I've seen several crisis times and uh, the numbers always when there's a crisis, a national crisis, um, the numbers always move toward what is God up to? And uh, I think that's because the Bible says that, that God has put in the soul of man, in Ecclesiastes, a desire to know him. And crisis produces that, doesn't it? And uh, coronavirus, I won't go into this, but I will tell you, I've been asking people uh, that have had COVID, what, what is the most significant lesson you've learned in your experience, that, you know, that you've come through with COVID? Uh, I know what mine was I, when I I battled it. I know what uh, lesson I believe that God uh, really taught me. But you know, it's interesting. You know, when you go through difficulty, it reduces the things that are really important down to the essential things, doesn't it? So now I want to ask you another question. Then we'll jump into our outline, um, and that's where we are on that first outline. We'll finish up some of uh, that. I hope y'all can see that. We'll we we'll just. We'll just increase the size of it a little bit. Um, how many of you heard that yesterday? Uh, Pat Robertson came out with uh, some predictions. Anybody hear about that? That Pat Robertson. You know who Pat Robertson is. He's 90 years old. He's the founder of the 700 Club, and uh, he came out and he made seven. He he said I, he was praying this past Sunday, and he said God told him about uh, several things that are gonna happen in the next three months. And uh, so I was asked the question after that, uh, pastor, what do you think about that? Uh, So uh, let me just say, uh, I'll tell you what he said is gonna happen. Let me give you a kind of response. Some of it will bleed over into some things that we're gonna be talking about. Uh, uh, um, At any rate, here's what he said. And you can go go look it up, listen to it if you want to. But he said, number one, He said, Trump uh, is going to win. That may be good news to you or bad news. I don't, I don't know, but he said Trump is going to win. Um, and, uh, that that was going to happen. Number two, he said, uh, uh, after Trump and Pence are sworn in, in January for the next term, uh, that's when there's going to be unprecedented social unrest and violence and, uh, on a level that we have not seen. He says that, that, uh, that, that was gonna, that's going to happen after the swearing-in, all right? He says also after the swearing-in um, that uh, the administration will be challenged by China, which might even lead to a war um, between China, perhaps even uh, us in, uh, against North Korea, and Russia may even be involved. Now, uh, I'm just repeating what he said. Um, n- number next, he said that there will be two, uh, attempted assassinations of the president. And, um, he said, this is part of what, you know, the Lord showed him. Uh, number next, he said, we will see the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38. Uh, and we're going to talk about that as time permits tonight, as we move into that second outline. Okay. Um, but, um, uh, that's all part of a big war uh, from the north and a coalition of some Muslim nations. Um, and, uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit further. And then, and, and by the way, Ezekiel says that God will put, put that war down. Okay, And then he said there will be a period of unprecedented peace. Uh, and at that point, uh, the reestablishment of the temple. This is all prior to the tribulation, by the way, he says. And um, that uh, it will be unprecedented and even um, dictators around the globe will, uh, will cooperate in this, uh, this extensive time of a peace. And then after that peace period of time, he says there will be uh, sudden and surprising destruction. And he says that there will be an asteroid that hit, hits uh, the earth and um, uh, disrupts uh, everything. And, and by the way, uh, NASA is telling us that there is a, an asteroid named Apophis that they're tracking that should pass by the earth on April 19th, 2029, and it, is, it will pass by 10, meaning 10 times closer than the earth is to the moon. It'll come that close. Now, that's still thousands of miles, but they tell us that that's what they call a near miss in that term. They talk about the size of it. Uh, And interestingly, just a couple of years ago, Russia created uh, a scientific institute for the purpose of developing a plan to uh, destroy asteroids as they come closer to uh, the Earth through a missile-based kind of program. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? And the U.S. on April, um, not on April, I'm sorry, let me find, get my facts straight here. Uh, in 2018, the White House Office of Science and Technology released a new report titled The National Near-Earth Object Preparation Strategy and Action Plan. And it's an 18-page document that outlines the steps that NASA and the Federal Emergency Management Agency uh, are going to take from 2018 over the next year uh, to prevent dangerous asteroids from striking the Earth and prepare the country for the potential consequences of such an event. Now, you say, yeah, so chance. But here's what I will say. The Bible talks about in uh, Revelation that the stars will fall from the sky, the sun will turn black, and um, that there is a, best we can tell from the biblical description, that there is something comparable to an asteroid that will hit the earth and called, referred to as wormwood. And that it will be very, very destructive. So you can do <laughs> what you want with all of that. Um, now, I was asked, so Pastor, is this re- how reliable is this? Well, I can't answer that question really, but what I can do is give you my opinion. First of all, let me say that um, I, uh, I appreciate what Pat Robertson has done over the years, especially he was kind of a forerunner in the uh, Christian kind of network sort of thing. I uh, you know, I remember seeing them when they were first starting up their ministry, and so God, I really believe, has used that, and they've. I think. Uh, I think number two, He is definitely a a man who loves God, so I don't question any of that or impugn His motives. What I do have a problem with is I agree with some things on His list, and I, I'm sure that gives Him great comfort. But, but. Here's what my struggle is. He has had a track record for over 20 years of making predictions, many of which never happened. And if God tells you something, uh, God doesn't miss. Does that make sense? So God doesn't miss. Um, and, uh, And we can all misread what we think God is saying. And that's important to know. You know, I, I I know I have on many occasions thought God was leading or directing me or giving me something, and it was probably not God. It was probably the bad pizza I had the night before. You understand? So my my problem is I was asked that question, and I said, <laughs> I said, if he didn't have a track record of missing so frequently on, on specific prophetic statements that he said God had given to him, it would be easier to say, this will all play out exactly. And if it does, we won't care who said it, right? But so I just simply say, always approach that sort of thing with caution. Uh, and he uses in his presentation, he, he, he uh, uh, uses a number of uh, scriptural passages. And again, there's some something like this war from the north. We're going to talk about that extensively because it factors into America's prophetic uh, future, um, a period of peace in the temple. And the temple, the Bible talks about in the last days, that the Jews will eventually will rebuild the temple, and there will be a great deal of peace. In fact, it says, and when Israel, uh, when they're saying peace, peace is, uh, and they're living securely in their land in peace, then sudden destruction will come upon them. So. So some of this you could say because it's already there in Scripture, right? Timing is a different thing, a different matter. So, all right. Uh, does that make sense? I, I just, current event, it, it happened yesterday, and I've already been asked about it. So that's my take on it. Um, you, can, you can take what I just said and take uh, $2 and go to the coffee shop, and they'll give you a free cup of coffee if you tell them about it. So, Uh, at any rate. So uh, let's get to our outline that we uh, were on last week, and we'll move as far as we can. Uh, What about America? Uh, We talked about why we study prophecy. We talked about why we uh, talk about prophecy, uh, why that's important. But That's all a setup to get us to what we're going to be talking about. We won't next week because of prayer, but for the weeks that follow that, and it's going to take us a while to go here because there are a lot of facets related to this. So what about America? Well, first of all, let me point to um, America's... Let me make sure I'm, I'm working up here. All right. Uh, Let's first talk about America's historical rise, not hysterical, but historical rise. America is, by all uh, accounts of history, the the, the most powerful empire that has ever existed. Now there have been great empires, and the Bible tells us prophetically there will be the rebirth of a great empire. Um, that's alluded to in a statue that Daniel saw in a dream and it'll be an empire of clay and iron. It will not hold up is what that means. It will crumble as opposed to the previous empires that have the Persian Empire and, uh, just, and the, Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, those sorts of things. Uh, prior to America, the greatest empire ever was the Roman Empire. And uh, but America, uh, because you could argue, well, there's technology and all of those sorts of things, had a really a historical rise. America is still considered the most powerful nation uh, in the world, and the most powerful empire. I think you could you can easily say that has ever existed. Now, I am one of those who believes in. The fact fact that America started the way it did—that God was the source of America's favor. That we have a lot of revisionist historians today, and they're trying to rewrite how we came to be. And by the way, they're trying to suggest that all of our founders were evil people. Um, it's just not true. And uh, one of uh, one of well one of my hobby. My uh, uh, interest is history, and I have a degree in history and theology, and I've studied, I love it, and um, I've read uh, deeply and greatly about Western civilization and, uh, and the rise of America. And if you're honest, intellectually honest, you have to admit America's founding had a Judeo-Christian uh, ethic underneath it. In fact, the whole existence, the, the, the reason the new world was called by the pilgrims the uh, New Jerusalem, because they were coming to a land where they wanted, listen to this, to practice freely their religion. And uh, their charters all uh, associate their their organizing of this nation to God. Go back and read the founders of this nation. I didn't say they were all Christians, and I didn't say they were all uh, uh, pure-hearted, but what they did know is that this nation could not exist if God were not um, the uh, foundation stones upon which it would be built. And in particular, uh, his laws. That's why you can go to the Supreme Court of the United States and go look it up on the internet, you know, and you can see pictures where the Ten Commandments are engraved in wooden doors on the Supreme Court of the United States. So the next time somebody tells you that there's no basis for, for our law and its connection to the Word of God, then say, why did they put the Ten Commandments on the doors of the S- Supreme Court? And why, by the way, do still in most courts they say God saved this honorable court. Uh, there, there's effigies of, of uh, Moses uh, in uh, uh, the uh, federal buildings and courthouses. Why? Because it associated the Ten Commandments with Moses and the law of God. So uh, uh, I, I could talk all night about this. I want but um, there are so many good books out there that will help you identify America's uh, rise uh, to power. And I, f- I firmly believe that America, uh, America became who America was because God favored it. But I, I would also tell you my great fear is that God has lifted his hand from America. And God will do that. Uh, if a nation does not um, stay the course of, uh, that God has ordained for them. And so I th- I'm afraid that's where we are. Okay, so America's historical rise, uh, you have to understand that. Secondly, you need to understand America's moral and cultural decline. Um, and, and a lot of it has been, been subtle. But uh, I believe in terms of its real outgrowth, uh, noticeably, it began when America started abandoning God. You say, how did we do that? Well, I told you that we were founded, how we were founded. uh, and, And up until really the late 50s, the early 60s, even those who weren't Religious, or those who weren't Christian, uh, up until that period of time, they still all agreed, as a culture generally, we agreed that the basis for right and wrong was scripture. It formed the foundation for right and wrong. So if you had to know what was right and wrong, even if you didn't, if you weren't uh, a believer in Christ, even if you were uh, not particularly religious, the culture just accepted that. I've been writing, I write another column this week, read it about worldviews, because if you understand that, you begin to see the shift of worldview that began to happen in the 50s in America in particular. Now, a worldview doesn't change Uh, overnight it has really happened long before we see it there are things behind the scenes but in the 60s we began uh, outwardly abandoning God and I use this date uh, specifically because it was in 1963 that the court finally removed uh, prayer from public education and that may not seem like a big deal to you, because you say, well, you know, people probably didn't mean it, and who are you, you know, the attitude days. how do you force people to do that and everything? And uh, by the way, uh, a liken to that, and which followed soon after, was the removal of reading reading scripture in the public school. I, I don't know about you, but uh, my guess is there's some of you in this place that, like me, at least when you were in elementary school, you there were there were three things that you did every morning in public school. I, that's, I went to public school. What were they? What? Okay, you pledge allegiance to the flag. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And you had prayer. Those three things have, And... Um, and those were the things, of course, that I, I don't know. Do they still pledge allegiance? I've heard some do and some don't. Uh, I heard that uh, in some settings they give you the option. You, if you want to, to pledge allegiance, you can, or you can remain seated. And gosh, with all the mess about our flag in the last few years, who, who knows? But we never thought anything otherwise. Why is that? Because culture had a Christian worldview. And uh, your worldview determines what your values are and what you believe to be acceptable. So that's why your worldview is so important. I talk about it in this week's column. But we began this process of abandoning God. And, um, and so uh, America's moral and cultural decline has to be understood there. The, the second thing is, listen, uh, the... Um, The abortion of children. Um, 63 million infants aborted since 1973. Think about this. I don't know if there's anything magical about this, but 10 years after you did this, you did this. I mean, you didn't. But uh, And by the way, we don't condemn people that have had abortions. Uh, We 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 don't condone abortion, but we don't condemn those. What we want is to help them uh, understand that God loves them, because many of well, I I don't have time to get into the struggle beyond. By the way, since you ask, I'm going to break some news to you tonight that I have not broken anywhere else in this church to any other group. My wife, Allison, and I have been informed that we are going to be grandparents again. We got a, a another little one going. Um, and um, we don't know yet what, but April, uh, our daughter will deliver us um, another um, a child. And um, so we're, we're excited uh, about being grandparents again. So you're the first to know as a group in the church but I've been sitting on it for weeks cuz she wouldn't let me she wouldn't let me she said daddy she said you can't say this on television she says cuz people will start she said people will start contacting me that know her from this area. and she said we're waiting until we have a photo everything's different now with millennials we got to get to a photo shoot with a baby bump you know and all this and for their Christmas picture and all this so they had to get a photo shoot why so they could then put it on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that afterwards then and so they posted it yesterday and I was freed up to tell you the good news okay so America's moral and cultural decline is reflected in our abandoning of God abortion of children I, I have to tell you Again, I believe this may be the most heinous thing that God hates because he's told us in Scripture, he tells us about a time and time again when his people would offer their children in the fire or up upon the god Molech. And he said, and I didn't tell you to, I mean, it's, it's all through Scripture. I didn't tell you to do this. You did what I didn't tell you to do. And, um, and he said, I hate it. Why? Because it's a life. And, um, but, at any rate, this is another indication. Okay, let me go on. Uh, this is the third reflection of that. Aberrant. Aberrant. 1B, by the way. Aberrant sexual behavior affirmed. Affirmed. And it, these things are reflections... Of a culture in decline. And by the way, historically, if you will go look, look at the Roman Empire. Let's take that for example. Every one of these things, every one of these things uh, were accentuated in Roman culture. Roman culture and American culture uh, are snapshots of each other. But there is a difference. It took Rome 500 years to self-destruct. America is already at the level of self-destruction after over 200 years that it took Rome 500 years to reach to. And by the way, Rome, we always talk about, well, they were invaded, they were overrun by the barbarians and that sort of thing. Uh, that is true, but they really, w- were, um, they really were destroyed long before the barbarian, uh, barbarians overran them. Did y'all know that? They had been destroyed in internally. There was political corruption off the charts. There was moral depravity. Uh, and th- th- by the way, they w- were slowly infiltrated with immigrants. I'm for legal immigration. You need to understand that. But they were slowly overrun by non-Roman citizens who could care less about Roman values or that sort of thing Uh, that I'm not fussing about uh, immigrants I'm for legal immigration but I do think a nation that eventually gives up uh, gives itself to any people without any accountability loses its national distinctiveness and I don't mean that in a racial kind of tone that's just a fact If you don't have borders, you don't have a nation, right? How do we know what nations are? They have borders. And so uh, this all happened in Rome that led to its collapse. And then number four there is distancing from Israel. And I'm going to get into the, we don't have time tonight, it's time to go, but I'm going to get, so keep your other outline, all right? Because this is kind of set up for us to move into talking about, I'm going to share some quotes with you that are going to blow your mind, uh, talking about where's America in, in Bible prophecy. But if you don't get this, you won't probably really connect to all the dots. But distancing from Israel, um, the Bible says this about Israel. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Um, I, I firmly believe that one of the reasons that America has had the favor of God on it for so long is because America took the lead in befriending Israel. And uh, if it hadn't have been for Truman, Uh, whose administration was against against recognizing Israel as a nation, Truman defied his own uh, uh, administrative uh, leadership and said, we are going to recognize him. By the way, that's a remarkable story about, I believe, how God was intervening because there was no reason other than Truman had heard about Israel and God's plan for Israel. But everybody around him uh, in his administration said, we don't need to do this. We need to stay out of this. This is a powder keg, blah, 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 blah. But I believe one of the reasons that God has favored America was because of our our affirmation of Israel. Uh, We weren't the only one, but the others would not have signed on had Truman and America not said, we're recognizing them, because many refused to recognize them. And we'll get into some of that later. But here's what I mean by... In the last couple of decades, America has been slowly trying to distance itself from uh, from Israel. Uh, Did you know, for example, uh, the current president moved the American embassy from where? Who knows? Tel Aviv... Jerusalem. Now, this might shock you. He is the only president out of, let's see, um, Clinton, two Bushes, and Obama, who promised to move the embassy to Jerusalem. They promised it. You can go track it down. They said, every one of them said, we need to move, uh, we affirm moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Trump's the only one that actually did it. And you know he took great heat for doing it. I think it was the right thing. But my point is, both Democrat and Republican presidents promised that they were going to do it. They just never had the guts to do it. And by the way, the Palestinians, they erupted when this happened. And we'll talk about uh, uh, some of that because there's some interesting things going on with the uh, United Arab Emirates uh, signing a treaty. And by the way, they just started uh, 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 opening up their, their visas to one another so they can come and go in, in freedom. Uh, it's just some remarkable things. There are probably as many as 20-plus uh, Arab nations that may yet sign on to a peace accord. We'll get into that. I don't have time to get in. I look forward to it. But, but so, uh, my point is folks, always land on the side of Israel. Israel is, uh, now they're going to take, uh, take a beating. And we'll talk about that in Ezekiel 38 and 39. They're gonna take a, but they're going to come out on top. It's going to be miraculous. And uh, I'll just say, you want to be on the side of Israel. That I didn't just say that means they have carte blanche. That they're not accountable or responsible. They are. But we know how the story works out. So we want to be on Israel's side, and I think that's why God has favored America. Is America has been in Israel's corner. Um, and uh, even when israel hasn 't known it, I was in uh, Qumran on one of my holy Land trips, and um, I was sitting out our folks were in the there's a Qumran 's where they discovered the Dead Sea scrolls, and they have every one of these sites have tourist shops there, so people will come in and buy miniature copies of the scrolls and you know all kind of stuff. Uh, and I'd been in there so many times, I just let my people, they always want to go, I just let them go in there. I, mean, I was sitting down at a picnic table out in front of the front of this tourist shop there at the caves of Qumran. And it just so happened, by the way, Israel's been in a state of war ever since 1948. Did y'all know that? They are still in a state of war ever since 1948. There are. Every, listen to this, we've got some young people in here. Every young person serves in the Israeli military. You don't, you, you don't get to opt out unless there's some, you know, physical, legitimate physical reason or, or some kind of uh, limitation that you have. And uh, and by the way, you serve, you serve so many, you'll serve actively for, I don't know, I forget what the term is, and then you, you get a break, you know, you may serve, I, I want to say three months, and then you get a break uh, for the rest of the year, and they rotate it like that. And by the way, you keep doing that, I forget what age, but until you're you're an older adult and you're still. So, so they're in a state of war. And so that means you always have Israelis in military fatigues in a lot of the places. You'll see them at a bus stop. There'll be a lot of civilians there at the bus stop, waiting on the bus, and there'll be three or four. Uh, uh, young people in their late teens, I guess, or early 20s, standing there in military fatigues with a machine guns slung over their shoulder, waiting to catch a bus to go home the days over for whatever it was there to do. So you'll see that. Well, uh, you'll understand where I'm going uh, now. So I'm sitting on this picnic table outside of this touristy store, and it just so happens there are two uh, young men, I would say they're probably 21, 22 in their military fatigues. And they're sitting at a picnic table across the way. They're waiting for a ride or something. I don't know. And they're sitting across the way. And so, um, I began to talk to them. Hey guys, uh, uh, you know, just casual kind of th- things. And, um, I said, Hey, let me ask you a question. I said, uh, and that time there were some big time negocia- negotiations going on between them and uh, the Palestinians. And I said, Guys, what do y'all think about the peace process? And here's what they said Yeah, we all, we're all tired of the unrest and everything. Every, we all want peace. They want it, we want it. So we're, we're, we're for the peace process. I said, that, that's great. I said, I said uh, so you're hoping they will work something. I said everybody's, They said, everybody's tired. I said, well, I, maybe it, work, it works out. And then they said this. They said, but what we need is you Americans just to leave us alone and get out of the way. I said, really? And they said, yeah, we don't need y'all's help. We can do this on our own. I said, well, let me ask you this those billion dollars that we send to you every year, should we just pull those out too since you don't need us? And they went, oh, no, 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 we need that. I said, in other words, you want our money, but you don't want any input from us. I said, guys, it doesn't work that way. I said, because what happens here affects us. And they they didn't know what to say. I said we'll probably have to keep this arrangement if y'all want the money, kind of thing. And then they went, eh, you know. But America has been favored, I believe, because of our affiliation and affirmation of Israel. Now, next week we're going to move into we're going to move into Ezekiel. Not next week, week after. We're going to talk about Ezekiel 38, 39. We're going to talk about a war that is coming. A war that's going to have global implications, okay? Y'all have any questions before we go tonight? I hope that made sense. All right. Is there anybody here tonight, you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? And you say, man, I need to take care of that. Anybody? Anybody here say, you know what? I have taken care of that, but I need a church home, a church family, and I'd like to join Ridgecrest. By the way, if you're watching my live, screen, uh, live stream, you can make a, any one of those decisions. You can trust Christ as your Savior. You can contact us. Just text the word pastor if you say, I'd like to know how I can receive Christ as my Savior. Text the word pastor if that's your desire. Or if you say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest, text the word join to this number. 334-384-8080. 334 text one of those two words based on your decision and we'll take it from there don't you worry about it Um, we had every week I mean it's just it's blowing my mind we had more people join us this past Sunday and we're having people that are confessing Christ as their Savior it's a wonderful thing Um, I can't wait till we really get to some normal and we start filling this building back up and we look around and go who are all those people well, those are members. They joined during COVID. And so, all right, y'all stay safe. Yes, ma'am. To... Because what it did is it sent a message to the world that we agree with Israel that Jerusalem is their real capital. Oh, yeah. Jer- Jerusalem was historically always, it was the center of their worship. And by the way, they l- were to, supposed to live under what we would call a theocracy. And so Jerusalem is the center from which all of their life was to, to uh, uh, evolve out. So that's why it was so important. What it said it was saying this as well to the Palestinians because the Palestinians try to argue Jerusalem's our place and we will not settle, in fact, they've said we won't even make peace until Israel is destroyed and we can occupy Jerusalem all by ourselves. Uh, and uh, Yasser Arafat, who is dead, but he, he said there will never be peace in Jerusalem until we control Jerusalem. So this was a huge international statement that Israel had been begging some of the prominent nations to recognize that Jerusalem is their real capital. So when Trump did that, he sent this message. And by the way, there were other nations, if you recall, that said, then we'll now recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. If I, not everybody but a number of people followed our lead, and Israel knew that, and Israel has always said Jerusalem is our capital. This is, this is our, our basis, even though they operated out of Tel Aviv, okay? So that's, why, that's a good question, and that's why the moving of the embassy was so important. Uh, to the, Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good question. I wish I would a thought to answer it before you had to a- ask it.